Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF Podcast. This week, we're back at Voices 2018, where we put a spotlight on India, the world's fastest growing major economy. You will recall that our State of Fashion report for 2019 identifies India's ascent as a major trend for 2019. But what do we need to understand about this hugely complex, multifaceted country of 1.3 billion people, which will soon overtake China to become the most populous country on the planet? Shiv Kemka is vice chairman of Sun Group, a diversified global group based in India with both operating and investment companies active in areas including private equity, renewable energy, oil and gas, high technology, gold mining, and real estate. Shiv's international exposure make him the perfect bridge between India and the world. So here's Shiv Kemka on understanding India's ascent at Voices 2018. For me, India is a very complicated and difficult idea because India is really an idea. It wasn't a country, it's only 70 years old. Before that, it was a number of kingdoms. Before that, it was an ancient culture where people came from all over the world. And so to try and explain India a little bit, I want us to talk about it through three lenses, an economic lens, a social lens, and a human lens. Sashi Tharoor, one of our great politicians, a great uh, historians, great authors said, India is an advanced civilization in an advanced state of decay. And yet, from an, in, from an economic perspective, McKinsey and the report they did recently, the Business of Fashion Joint Report, has given a wonderful reason why India will find its econo economic place in the world. And the reasons for that are reasonably obvious, and I won't repeat all the numbers and so on. But really, India is all about people. It's about people. And you saw the Chinese slide with the seven Chinese leaders who lead China, but that's really who leads India. 1.3 billion people, 50% of them below the age of 25. Smartphones, 340 million users in 2018, 490 million users by 2022. Geo, Hari is here in the audience. Geo started less than two years ago, now has 260 million users. India is the largest user of data on the planet when it wasn't even in the top 10 two years ago. Urban, urbanization. Where are all these people going to live? We don't have enough cities. We have, 69, we, will, we have 49 cities with over a million people today, 69 cities by 2030 with over a million people, and we need 430 million people live in cities today. 830 million people will live in cities by 250. 400 million people are going to move from rural to urban environments. How are we going to deal with that? If we do what China has done and build those types of cities, I think we will actually put a huge strain on India's resources and on the world's resources. So we need to come up with other ideas. Mumbai itself as a city by 2030 will be the size of the Malaysian economy, $240 billion the Malaysian economy today. Energy, how do we have enough energy to feed the tremendous growth of our economy? Fortunately, our government realizes that fossil fuels aren't the solution. And so the government has said that we must have, by 2027, we estimate 57% of our energy will, be, will come from renewables. 100 gigawatts of solar energy by 2022, the world's largest solar program. And a lot of this is happening very fast. 
electric vehicles. The Indian government has said no more, uh, or only electric vehicles on the roads by 2030. These are very ambitious targets. And if we achieve them, we will make a huge difference to the global economy. Finally, technology. Everyone knows about India's great IT success. We export over $100 billion of IT to the world. Uh, it's a very young industry, only 30 years old, and growing very fast. And we believe that using technology, perhaps we can leapfrog some of the problems that the world uh, has created for itself in terms of sustainability and so on. We have 150 incubators and accelerators in India, 140 VCs, about one-tenth of the number in the US today. And yet, the economic argument for India is really very clear. Uh, India is going to grow from a $2.6 trillion economy to a $28 to $30 trillion economy 10 times by 2050. The US may double. China may go four times. So for any industry, for anyone that's part of the consumer business on the planet, to be in India makes a lot of sense. But for me, that's not what keeps me up at night. What keeps me up at night is the social lens, the future of jobs. Can we create enough jobs fast enough? We need to create a million jobs a month, approximately. How do we do that? Technology is coming and destroying jobs. AI will destroy many jobs. Will our education system be able to create the jobs we need and keep people learning fast enough so that they have relevant jobs for the future? Gender, only 17% of our labor, uh, of the workforce today is women. 17% labor force participation by women. Whereas the world average is 37%. Are we going to be more inclusive? Are we going to be more inclusive towards minorities and women in terms of the workforce and in terms of the mindset we have in our country? How do we educate? We have 325 million young people in schools and colleges today. And our curriculum is still a 50-year-old curriculum. Are we going to use and harness technology, smartphones, and other things to actually be able to educate this young consumer and this young population to be able to be responsible citizens on our planet? Huge problems with sanitation, water, hygiene. In 2014, the calculation was that 550 million people defecate in the open. They don't have access to toilets. Today, that number has come down to 250 million. 83 million toilets have been created in the last three years. 71 million people in India still live in extreme poverty, 11% of the world's global population in extreme poverty. So the question I ask myself is, are we sitting on a demographic dividend or a demographic time bomb? Can we actually get this right? And by we, we mean the world. The world needs to get India right, because this is a demographic time bomb, not just for India, but for the whole planet. But you know, I'm very, very hopeful. And I'm hopeful for two reasons. First, we are a thriving, noisy, joyful, confusing, confounding democracy. And in the cradle of an ancient, vibrant, youthful, and creative culture, I think that there's something there, there's some secret source that has allowed us to survive, rejuvenate for centuries and centuries. And our youth demographic gives me a lot of hope. Young people are today asking a lot of questions. They're seeking answers. They want a better world. This is the first set of leaders on the plan in India that have grown up outside colonialism and in an independent India. India has been independent for 70 years now. And so this new energy that's come has created a very uh, subversive energy in our country that wants to change things, that 
is asking lots of questions and that is pushing frontiers. The Indian diaspora is all over the world, connecting back to our country and creating something very, very interesting. And that gives me hope. But really what really gives me hope much more is that we are a country where the material was always less important than the spiritual. A country where the seeking of the inner truth was more important than the external world. And that ancient culture still exists. People often say to me, we go into villages and towns and everyone looks happy and smiling. What's the reason? We don't get it. We do the same in Brazil, but people are angry and upset. And there's something spiritual that exists. India has been a spiritual laboratory for our country for centuries. And India has welcomed all spiritual experimentation in our country. 3,000 years ago in the Maha Upanishad, someone said, a great sage, he said, Vasudhaiva Kutumbakam, which means the world, the whole world is one family. 3,000 years ago, when someone lived in a forest hut, how did they have that wisdom to understand that the world is one family? It's what we're talking about today. It's what we talked about yesterday. It's a world that we've not curated well. It's a world that we've not looked after well. And yet that wisdom exists in ancient spiritual traditions, not just in India, but around the world. And so for me, the question really is one of leadership. Where will the leadership emerge to lead all of us? And perhaps the leadership is in this room to actually go forward and actually help the world avoid the iceberg that sits ahead of us sitting on the Titanic here. Instead of shuffling deck chairs, how are we gonna do this? Mahatma Gandhi, in my opinion, was a modern reflection of this ancient wisdom. And that reflection has reflected itself in many other leaders, from Nelson Mandela, Obama, Mother Teresa, etc. India has been this cradle of a different consciousness of leadership on the planet. And so I decided that when I turned 50, I would devote 50% of my life's energy to hunting down and finding great leaders on the planet and connecting them up together. So with my beautiful wife, Urvashi, our foundation works on that. And we started this journey saying that imagine a world with just 1,000 Mahatma Gandhis. On a planet of 7.3 billion people, why can't we find 1,000 people that have the quality of a Gandhi, a Mandela, and so on? Do they exist? They do exist. Where are they? When we look at global leadership today, if I ask all of you to name 10 great leaders on the planet at that stature, we're going to have trouble. But we need to find them. We are on a burning platform. We need to find great leadership quickly. And I believe great leadership is rooted in tolerance, oneness, a spiritual wisdom that exists in many cultures around the world, but that has found its roots in India for centuries. So we created a foundation 13 years ago to look for young people. We kind of gave up on the older people. Uh, we said, let's start with young people. And let's look at what are the roots of great leadership. And we think the roots of great leadership are leadership skills, decisive action, but Hitler had those two, so that's clearly not enough. <laughs> ethics, some basic sense of ethics, treat others the way you want to be treated yourself. And most importantly, altruism, looking at the world as one family, looking at the world as our family. And, look, and, and that, my own story, I left India when I was 11, went to France, I had bad asthma, spent a year in France, then my father decided he preferred me speaking English with an English accent, shipped me across the channel, 
ended up at boarding school in England, then went to college in the US, then lived in Venezuela, Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, went back to business school in the US, did an international studies degree and a business degree, uh, and studied Portuguese, and then my father sent me to Russia. I lived in Russia 25 years, worked throughout Central Asia, North Africa, West Africa, Myanmar, China. So I've, I feel like a global citizen. I've seen the world. And, and, and I think everywhere we are the same. We are human beings, all of us affected by the same issues of love, kindness, hate, greed, children, families. We need to rise above the narrow differences that separate us to the level where we can actually lead. Where do we find this young leadership? So we created a curriculum with Harvard University, Columbia Teachers College, and others to, to infect the school system around the world. We now reach three million children in 14 countries with a curriculum for ethical leadership. So we start training children at a young age that leadership implies ethics, it implies altruism, and it implies risk-taking. We now select the best young children, and we're working closely with the Indian government. The Indian government has said to us, they love our curriculum, and they've said, we can take it to all schools in India. That's 325 million young people that we could reach. We need technology, we need help. How do we get to 325 million young people from three million, which is a pilot project? Um, we work with schools, uh, around the world to get young children to engage in social issues, to solve problems using technology, but to work as teams and to think about uh, not thinking about things in an egoistic way, but in terms of service. In Nepal, after the earthquake, we sent many of our young children to work in Nepal to solve many of the problems there and to work actually in villages to rebuild the villages. Uh, we work with the environment. Uh, we work uh, with reforestation, reforestation of trees, in India and other parts of the world. Uh, and most importantly, we want to engage with the youth. We work a lot with young people to engage the youth. We organized in India the Global Citizen Festival. We brought global citizens from New York to India, and we organized an event with 100,000 young people uh, who came to the event between the ages of 18 and 22. And they came because they did actions for social good, and they helped raise $6.3 billion in commitments to Sustainable Development Goals 4, 5, and 6, education, gender equality, water sanitation, and hygiene. The fashion industry has a huge voice on the planet. It has a huge voice for young people and for older people. And it's very important to use this voice to actually force leadership on the planet. We are, we're on a burning platform. There isn't any time. We can't take our time to do things slowly. We have very little time. We need to use our voice for change as fast as we can. And Gandhiji said, the world has given us enough for our needs, but not enough for our greed. And so the question is, how do we encourage and a new consciousness on this planet, a consciousness that doesn't create the type of waste that we create in these industries, a consciousness that perhaps in some ways may hurt the industry, but which reduces consumption that is wasteful, that creates a sustainable culture. And I think, for me, the real ascent of India is not the economic ascent. The real ascent of India is going to be an ascent where the ancient voice of wisdom about how we care about our planet and how we look at ourselves in terms of our inner growth comes out again. So please help us find that voice. And it's a global voice. Let's find that voice again and let's try and solve the problems of the world together. Thank you very much.
If you enjoyed this conversation, you might be interested in BOF Professional, our global membership community from the business of fashion. BOF Professional members receive unlimited access to all of our articles, daily members-only analysis, the BOF Professional iPhone app, biannual print issues, and all of our online education courses as part of your membership. For a limited time only, we are offering BOF podcast listeners an exclusive discount on an annual BOF professional membership. To get 25% off of your first year, click on the link in the episode notes, select the annual package, and enter the special invitation code PODCAST2019 at the checkout. We hope you enjoy it, and don't forget to tell your friends.